Thanks, David. Thanks to the band as well, and Heidi for leading us so well in worship. Um, I got a message from Jono this morning, asking me please to pass on their love, and saying they are all missing us. And uh, so I've done, I've done that. <laughs> Come and see God is love. Now when Jono first asked me to prepare for this, I began thinking because this is an immense and a mysterious subject. God is love. So there are no wrong answers or right answers. But, but are there any here who would like to say something about love? I'm not looking for any particular answer. Oh, goodness me. There we go. Huh? Unconditional. Unconditional. There we go. Anyone else? Patient. There we go. Okay. So, so these are all elements of love. But if I asked you... To, to describe in, say, one sentence what it is to feel totally loved. Loved by a child, loved by a spouse, loved by a parent. Could, could you write a sentence or two and explain to someone who has never been loved, explain to them what it feels like to be loved? No, no words can describe it. Exactly, because this is a mystery. Now, when we're talking about God's love and to try and explain the fact that God is love, where, where do we start with something like this? It really is a mystery. It really is immense. And maybe I was thinking about 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul speaks about some of the attributes of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. And, and this just kind of scratches the surface and tells us something about the love of God. Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. I think it should rather be called the story of the loving father. And, and we look at that story, and we could look at that, and we could see some elements of God's love. We could look at the meanings of love through the four Greek words, all translated uh, into English as love, agape, eros, storge, and phileo. And we could, we could do a study on that. But all these things are just tiny little facets of this huge and immense and mysterious subject called love. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of God compels or motivates us. And so it's important that we understand the love of God. This isn't just an add-on extra that maybe this would be something to, to, know, to know about. Because our effectiveness in the world is motivated or empowered by God's love for us. And so the better we understand his love for us, the more effective we can be in our lives as witnesses as we allow that love to flow through of us. So if we don't understand much of the love of God, how can we love others? If we don't understand the patience of God, if we don't understand the forgiveness of God, we don't understand the grace of God. We can't be channels to flow to the world because we've got none of these things in ourselves. It's only as it comes from God and flows through us. So, as Paul said, the love of God motivates us or, 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 or it compels us. 
or it empowers us. And to the extent that we understand God's love for each one of us, to that extent will we be effective as witnesses in the world. Remember that he who knows us best loves us most. Often in the world we think, I'm glad this person doesn't know this about me or doesn't know that about me. If they knew this about me, I don't know what they would think. The one who knows us best loves us the most. Warts and all. And that's a comforting thing. It's wonderful to know God knows everything about me. There's not a single thought I've ever had that God doesn't know. He knows everything about us. And in spite of what he knows about us, he loves us most. Nothing we can do can make God love us more. Nothing we can do can make God love us less. And that's a wonderful truth too. God loves us completely. So how do we go about unpacking this? Back to that question. 1 John 2, it says, You do not need anyone to teach you, but his anointing teaches you about all things. And so I've concluded the best way to understand God's love is to experience it. I I can give you some vague pointers which might help you. But where we're going today, we're going to look at a parable and we're going to unpack it and take some points out of it. Then we're going to listen to a song about the cross and meditate on God's love and invite the Holy Spirit to come and do something in our hearts. Because only Him who can show us the extent of God's love for us. I can't explain it to you. I'll spend all day and you still won't understand anything. The Holy Spirit um, is our teacher. And he needs to come and write it on our hearts. And then as a body, we're going to come and break bread and uh, uh, hopefully experience something more of God's love in each of our lives. As Christians, it's vital that we have a revelation and experience of God's love. Because his ways are so far above our ways, his love can't be measured by our circumstances. And this is another sermon in itself, but I thought I'd need to put this line in. His love can't be measured by our circumstances. And sometimes people say to me, I know God loves me because I've got this amazing promotion at work. Well, if that's the way you measure God's love, you're going to have problems. You're going to have a yo-yo understanding of God's love. Because there will be times that you will think God doesn't love you. We can't measure anything by our circumstances. We need a revelation that God loves us as we are, loves us too much to leave us that way, So he's working in us and changing us, but he loves us fully in spite of our circumstances. Our circumstances have nothing to do with the way God loves us. The text we're going to be looking at is Luke 15, verses 1 to 6. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost." Now, the Pharisees really had a problem with Jesus and his attitude towards, in inverted commas, sinners. And he couldn't, they couldn't condemn him for preaching to them 
that, that wouldn't be the right thing to do. Though that's what they were really enraged at. So they reproach him for eating with them. And Jesus' point is driven home because shepherds of all the trades were despised people because the Orthodox Jews had all these laws that you had to pray at certain times and you had to wash your hands before eating in certain ways. And shepherds couldn't do that. They couldn't wash their hands in certain ways because there was no water out in the felt. They couldn't pray at certain times because they were busy with the sheep and had a job to do. And because they couldn't observe these laws, the Orthodox Jews absolutely despised them. And here Jesus now tells them a story about these shepherds. And he demonstrates some elements of the love of God for us. It's probably the simplest parable that Jesus ever told. And I'd like to look at the context first and then draw five conclusions about the love of God. Now in Judea, it was very easy and common for sheep to go astray. Because the pasture was usually on the hill country. And uh, those of you who have been to Israel know what it's like. There's vast open spaces, very sparse because of the lack of water. And so up on the mountains and on the hills, there would be some vegetation where sheep would go and graze. There were no fences, and sheep often uh, strayed, and they ended up marooned on some ledge, or they would get marooned in a, in a valley or a gully somewhere. And the Palestinian shepherds were experts at tracking their sheep down. They knew how to find them and where to go and get for them, and they would sometimes go for miles trying to find a lost sheep who got itself stuck somewhere. Also in Jesus' time, the flocks were usually communal. They weren't belonging to an individual, but a flock belonged to a village, and it usually had three or four shepherds looking after it. And so that's why one could go um, to find the one, because there were others to look after the 99. And we can imagine what it was like for this village when the shepherds uh, came back, and they would tell of one shepherd still out there because there is a lone wanderer who had got lost. And uh, they would wait. And they would have their meal and have their time together, looking to the horizon until finally they would see the shepherd coming with his sheep over his shoulders. And they would gather around to hear the story that he'd have to tell them of the sheep that had got lost and how it had been found. And great was their joy that this lost sheep had been found and had been brought home. And from our story, we can draw five conclusions that teach us some of these elements of God's love. And as we go through these five conclusions, let's personalize it. We're not speaking about shepherds in Israel. We're speaking about God's love for each one of us. Firstly, the love of God is an individual love. The 99 were not enough. And the shepherd couldn't rest until the lone wanderer was back in the fold. At evening, each, shepherd had to each sheep had to pass under a rod where the shepherd would examine him to see if he had any injuries or there was something wrong with him. And he was counted and checked. And in Palestine, the sheep were very rarely kept for meat. For, for, yeah, for meat. They were kept for their fleece. And so when sheep were in a flock, they were generally there for eight or nine years. So shepherds got to know their sheep really well. They got to know them by name. They got to know everything about them. 
and they developed a bond and a, a relationship with him. And we can also think of the parents of a large family. You could say to somebody who perhaps had 10 children, if one disappeared and got lost, well, you've got nine others. Well, well that's not the point. Each one is precious. Each one is an individual. And you might think, well, there are over 6 billion people in the world. When I pray, does God even hear me? Does God even know me? Yes. You're an individual known to God. And this is a mind-blowing, but it's a wonderful thing. Revelation 21 verse 27b says, But those whose names are written in the book of life. If you've given your life to the Lord and you're following him, do you know there's a book in heaven and your name is written there in that book? Isn't that a wonderful thing? Luke 12, 7, even the very hairs of your head are numbered. It's, a, it's just mind-blowing. Do, do I comprehend this? We need to continue to pray that God would give us revelation of what his love is about. I'm an individual before God. With all these thousands of people, with all the thousands of needs, God knows me, cares about me, and he loves me with an everlasting love. We, we need to understand that, and we can only know it by revelation. Secondly, the love of God is a patient love. Now, sheep, as you probably know, are foolish. Sheep aren't generally regarded as clever. And the sheep generally has no one but itself to blame for the danger it gets itself into. Now, men may be impatient with the foolish, but not God. Men may be fools, but God loves even the foolish one who has no one but himself to blame for his situation. It says in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish. And sometimes I've been in discussions and people talk about people who are addicts maybe, or, or prostitutes, and say, well, you know, I don't feel sorry for them. They chose that way of life. We, we write off the foolish very quickly. Not God. God cares even for the foolish one who has gone astray and is there because of bad choices he made. We might say, well, they chose that life. It's their problem. Thank God that he's not like that. God is patient and he's waiting for us to come back. I'll never forget a story um, of a couple that I met when we were in Nottingham. And uh, this woman, they'd been married for quite a few years, and this woman was married to this abusive husband. And uh, he used to drink a lot and really abusive towards her, and he would demand that she cooks for him. And he would come home 9 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night, and he wanted a hot meal waiting for him. She didn't know what time he's coming home. And more often than not, he would take this food and he would throw the plate against the wall and complain about it and demand something else. Say this food's not good enough, it doesn't taste proper, he was drunk. And this kind of carried on and carried on and carried on. And after two years of this abuse, her friend said, you know, you can't put up with this. God doesn't expect you to live in an abusive relationship. You should just leave him. So she thought about it and said, but you know, we've, we married, I made a commitment, 
So they said, yes, but, but abuse is one of these things. God doesn't expect you to just endure this. And your life's endangered. He gets violent with you sometimes. So one of her friends said, go and speak to the minister and see what he has to say. So she went to her pastor and explained the situation. And the pastor thought about it and he said, we would have no problem if you left your husband. He is abusive. Your life might be endangered. And we would have no problem if you left him. One of her other friends said, have you asked God? No, she hadn't asked God. And so she prayed. And God said, the way I love you and the way I've been patient with you, I want you to love your husband and be patient with him. Well, what God calls us to, he gives us grace for. And so she went on night after night cooking for him being abused. Went on for another three years. Day after day after day. She prayed that God would give her grace and strength to be patient with him and to love him. One morning she got up at six o'clock as she did on a Saturday to go to the prayer meeting and lo and behold she sees her husband get up getting dressed. She said to him, and where are you going? I'm going to the prayer meeting. He arrived back two o'clock that morning drunk. Here he was at six o'clock, semi-sober. He's coming to the prayer meeting. And when he came to the prayer meeting, he said, I want you people to know that this wife of mine, I've tried to wear her down. I've, I've just abused her. I've taken advantage of her. And she just keeps loving me. And she's just so patient with me. And I realized that no human being could be like this in her own strength. And so I realized the God that she serves must be real. And I want to give my life to him. And he got saved that day. And the two of them run a ministry in Europe, uh, a, a rehab centers. They've got in Spain, Italy, Portugal, the, 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 the biggest of all the rehab ministries in Europe are run by this couple, leading people to Jesus. Now, what happens if she left him earlier on? What happens if she wasn't patient with him? What happens if she said, well, I'm, I'm not going to endure this anymore. This is, this, enough is enough. Well, we need to hear from God. In, in her case, that's what God said to her. He might have said something else to someone else. But in her case, that's what he said. And so God is a patient love. God has a patient love towards us. And even if you failed him, even if you're sitting here this morning thinking, if you know what's been going on in my life, you'd realize it's, it's embarrassing to come to God. Well, God's love towards you is a patient love. And even though you've been foolish and you've made mistakes, come to him in repentance and he's ready to receive you home. Thirdly, the love of God is a seeking love. The shepherd wasn't content to wait for the sheep to return, but he went out to search for it. And the sheep knew and responded to their shepherd's call. And so God is not content to wait for a man to come home, but he goes out to search for him no matter the cost. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Time and time again I hear in people's testimonies, this is how my life went. And then a day came when I found God. The truth of the matter is God was never lost. We are lost, and we never find God. God finds us. 
because he goes out there and he seeks and he saves. And I know in my life I came to know the Lord when I was 24. And when I looked back over my life, I saw time and time again how God was seeking me out. I remember times in primary school. I remember times in high school chatting to Christians and hearing what they had to say. And, and I see all these as opportunities and signposts that God was calling me. At that stage, I never realized it was God. I didn't realize he was calling me. But for 24 years, since the day I was born, God was seeking me to come into his kingdom. When I was 24 years old, I heard that call and I responded. God's love is a seeking love. And even if you wandered away from him, even if you've been foolish, even if you've never responded to him in your life before, you need to know that today God's love is a seeking love and he is seeking you. The love of God is a rejoicing love. There is nothing but joy. No recrimination, no grudges. And I know it's human never to forget a man's sins or his past, but when we turn to God in repentance, it's pure joy. We won't read it, but the parable of the prodigal son or the prodigal, this parable of the loving father, Luke 15, 20 to 24, we know that story well. And we, maybe if we would have been that father, would have said, you know, you have disrupted our lives, you've taken your inheritance, you've wasted it all, now you think I'm going to take you back. Not a chance. That, that might have been a good human response, but not this father who portrays the love of God. It's a rejoicing love. No recriminations. No, you've let me down once. You can come back, but never ever do this to me again. No, a rejoicing love. And when we come back to God, we don't come with our tail between our legs. We come in repentance, and God rejoices over us. He's so happy to have us home. I remember a time when, when I got lost. I was... I was 11 years old, and we stayed at the time in Milton, and my parents were building this house just under the cableway station. So me and my youngest brother were there. He was about uh, eight, and, and we were there for a long time, a few hours. And you know, when you're 11, time drags. There was nothing to do there. We were walking around. So then my parents said, it's, it's, we, we'll be going in a few minutes. So I said, what we'll do is we'll so long start walking, and then you can pick us up on the way. We knew the way. You walked through and eventually came to the top of Kloof Street and down Kloof Street. We knew the way to go. So they said, we're coming in 10 minutes. So I said, great. So we set out, me and my young brother, and we walked. And we got to the bottom of Kloof Street and they hadn't come yet. This was quite a long walk. And then in those days, Long, long Street was a two-way street, so we walked all the way down Long Street. And they still hadn't come. So I thought, this is strange. And then we got all the way to the N1, where the harbor is. Now it was starting to get dark. And uh, my brother said, my legs are tired, I can't walk anymore. Can't we just stop? So I said, no, we, we can't stop, we have to go home, it's getting dark. So he said, I can't walk anymore. So I said, I'll give you a piggyback. So here's me at 11 years old, him at 8 years old, walking on the N1 from the harbor all the way to the Kuburg Interchange. And then all the way down Kuburg Road till, to Milneton, 25 k's. So we got there, it was kind of like 11 o'clock at night. And I was very tired, and I was very glad to get, to get home. 
and uh, my brother was asleep on my back, and uh, I thought my parents would be glad to see us. But man, oh man, my father was not glad to see me. He was so cross, I got the hiding of my life. And I thought, but you never picked me up. It's actually not my problem, it's your problem. But there was no rejoicing love here, I can tell you. <laughs> here, here, he was so cross that we got ourselves lost. But God is not like that. However we come to God, however we've been treated by our earthly fathers, when we come to God in repentance, there's a rejoicing love. The love of God is a protecting love. Because of, in the east, the shepherds lead their sheep. They don't drive them. They're the first to encounter danger. And uh, the shepherds often risked their lives for the sheep because they went in front. If there was a wolf or something out there, the shepherd was the first to cop it. And the shepherd was held accountable and had to produce a fleece. If one of the sheep got lost, they would say to the shepherd, so now where's the fleece? You are responsible for, for, the, for that part of the flock. Where is his fleece? They were accountable. They had to protect their sheep. There can be a love that ruins. And sometimes a parent's love can ruin a child. But the protecting love of God saves a man for the service of his fellow man. It makes the wanderer wise, the weak strong, the sinner pure, and the captive to sin a free man of holiness. John 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me. He is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. It's interesting to note, and I've written in the margin of my Bible here, uh, no one can snatch us from the Father's hand. But it doesn't say we can't wander away. God's given us, in his mysterious will, a free will. No one can ever snatch us from the Father's hand. But if we choose to, we can wander away. And God can't stop us. Because he's given us a free will. And this free will of ours gets us into so many difficulties. But the love of God is a protecting love. We need never fear a day will come and the enemy will snatch us from his hand. Can't happen because we are protected there by the Father's love. As we land, my appeal is to three group of people. Firstly, you might be serving him. Well, my appeal to you is to rejoice in the fact that he loves you and continue to seek a deeper revelation of that love. Over the years that I've known the Lord, I've come to know him in a deeper and a deeper and a deeper and a deeper way. The revelation of his love never stops. There are circumstances, situations that afresh I realize something more of God's love. And if you're serving him, don't be satisfied and say, I know Jesus died on the cross. I love God. God loves me. No, it's much more than that. You need a revelation, a revelation that will just stir your heart again and again and again. And we will never come to the end of knowing God's love for us. It's mysterious. It's unfathomable. Perhaps you are one of God's children and you are not in the space that you should be with God. Your relationship with him is not where it should be because you've wandered. Well, today is a day that you can come in repentance to this God. 
who loves you, who protects you and wants to rejoice over you. Come back to him in repentance. Maybe you've never yet committed your life to him. Maybe you fear God as a judge or a taskmaster. Today would be a good day to know that God loves you and he wants to welcome you home. The extent of God's love has to be the cross. There's no other, there's no other thing. John 3.16, who can tell me what that says? Whoa, there's a big mumbling here. Somebody over here was... Who is it? Yeah. Somewhere here was you. Okay, oh goodness, I don't know if I can say this well. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The cross, that God died for us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a wonderful thing. And the cross still stands for over 2,000 years. And although Jesus died nearly 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago, the cross is as relevant today as it was then, calling us home. So we're going to listen to a song now. When we were in Nottingham, there was a worship leader there who was very prolific in his songwriting. One of the songs he wrote was called Still, The Cross Still Stands. It speaks about the cross. We're going to listen to it. And as we do, let's personalize it. As we hear the words, it speaks about disappointments. It speaks about all kinds of things. Let's take that on board, not just listen to the words of the song and say, God, that is me. I identify with that. And then at the end of that song, it's about five minutes, at the end of that song, we're going to play it again. But that time, we're going to come forward, those of you who want to. And maybe if you want to on your own or groups of four or five or whatever you want to do, let's break bread and with grateful hearts, Say thank you to God for his love. That this is the God we serve. A love that's individual. A love that's patient. A love that seeks us out. A love that rejoices over us. And a love that protects us. And let's give thanks about that. And as we hear the song, ask him for a greater revelation of his love for us. And the more you engage with it, the more you will get out of it. And so I'd encourage you, engage. Listen to the words, make them real and apply them to your life. And the second time through, those of you who want to, let's come forward and break bread together. situation 
Okay, let's in reverence come forward. We come running to the cross again. We find God again. Let's come with grateful hearts. The cross wasn't just something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's relevant today.
And wherever you are in your walk with God, or if you haven't yet met him, the cross is the place to come to. So let's come forward as we take the symbols, break bread in groups or individually as you want to do it, remembering God's love demonstrated through sending his son to the cross to die for us so that we who are lost could be found. We who are unloved could be loved. We who are broken could be made whole. We who were healed, we who were sick could be healed. We who are no people could become adopted into the family of God. The cross still stands.